Welcome to Collections by Michelle Brown. I'm your host, Michelle Brown. Each week, we'll be talking with people living between the lines, standing boldly in the crosshairs of your intersectionality, and creating change. Today, I'm joined by Chicago writer and historian Owen Keenan. Owen has had his fiction, essays, erotica, reviews, columns, and interviews appear in dozens of magazines and anthologies worldwide. His books include Duggan's Bistro and the Legend of the Bearded Lady, Tell Me About It, Owen Keenan and St. Suki de la Croix, The LGBTQ Book of Days, and A Place for Us, LGBTQ Life at the Belmont Rocks. With Windy City Times co-founder Tracy Bain, he co-authored the Chicago LGBTQ historical biographies, including Leatherman, The Legend of Chuck Renslow, Jim Flint, The Boy from Peoria, and Vernita Gray, From Woodstock to the White House. He's co-founder of The Legacy Project. The Legacy Project was inspired the first time the Names Project AIDS Memorial Quilt was shown at the National March on Washington for LGBTQ Civil Rights in 1987. In 1991, the Society of Chicago instituted the only gay and lesbian Hall of Fame in the world. Several years later, Chicago celebrated the LGBTQ community by installing the first-of-its-kind Rainbow Pylon Streetscape on North Halstead Street. This legacy walk is a dynamic outdoor LGBTQ history exhibit. Every year on National Coming Out Day, new plaques are added. Owen is a frequent speaker on LGBTQ history and has chaired several panels of the Out at CHM, the Chicago History Museum series. He lives in Chicago with his husband and his three ridiculously spoiled dogs. Owen, welcome to Collections by Michelle Brown. How are you today? I'm wonderful. Thank you, Michelle, for asking. Hey, there's nothing wrong with having spoiled pets. Isn't that our job? (laughs) (laughs) They're very spoiled. I always think that they must have had some very good karma in a previous life to have been reincarnated for this cushy existence that they live. <laughs> I tell you, you know, I know people, I'm going to come back as their pet. That's all there is to it. Um, are you originally from Chicago? I'm originally from Rockford, which is about 90 miles to the west of Chicago. Mm-hmm, and mm-hmm. I've been in Chicago since the early 80s. hmm what drew you to the, the city? Was it in part, was it part of your, your coming out story? I've talked to a lot of people and, who were from Illinois, the Indiana, and they came to Chicago so that they could live more authentically. Was that part of your story? It was somewhat like that. I was living down in Quincy, Illinois, which is where I'd gone to college, and I wanted to get out of town, basically, and I didn't have a car, and Amtrak came to Chicago, so that's how I ended up here. And, yes, I mean, part of it was I just – I've always been drawn to sort of the gritty bigness of mm-hmm. the city. Um, and I kind of 
move towards that in baby steps. So, um, yeah, I came to the city and uh, very quickly immersed myself into the LGBTQ community here. Mm-hmm. Now, I love the titles of your books. I mean, like some of your books, I mean, but writing, I mean, because I see that not only have you written books, you've done essays, reviews, columns. How did you get into writing, and how big a, a part of your life was that coming along? It's, you know, it's always been a really big part of my life. Uh, I think a lot of it came because I'm not terribly good, especially when I was younger. I was not very good at expressing myself mm-hmm. verbally. I had a very difficult time sort of saying what I wanted and expressing what I meant. And it was always easier for me to write it than to say it. And so for me, it's always been a way I could kind of uh, uh, communicate most clearly what I wanted to say. And that's been true for as long as I can remember, as long as I can remember. You know, I would literally leave my parents notes about mm. things because I, you know, things I'd be nervous about. Like I remember when I wanted to, I was asking them for a two-wheel bicycle, which was a big deal. <laughs> and um, I, rather than just go and ask them, I had this complicated, you know, I had to think it all out and think of these reasons why I should have a two-wheel bicycle. And, you know, I, you know, made this note and I printed it on cardboard and I put it in their bedroom. And it was, you know, to them, I think they just thought, okay, you know, <laughs> I, which, it, which it would have been fine with them if I would have just asked. But for some reason, it was much easier for me to go through that process. So okay. I wish I could explain it, but, you know, that's just kind of always the way I've been. It's well, how know, it makes sense t- of the world, I think. Uh-huh. I can totally understand because, you know, when I was a kid, sometimes I would write like these long explanations, you know, like, if I knew mm-hmm. I was in trouble, I would write out my reasons and logic for it. <laughs> and, you know, and if I, and we had an older sister who sometimes would pick on my brother and I, and so I would write these stories where I would change the names to protect the innocent. <laughs> of course. You know, not, not so that much. So nobody knows. <laughs> well, you know, it wasn't too difficult for her to figure it out, you know. <laughs> but, uh, but, you know, I would write these wonderful stories for my mother which was, which is sort of mm-hmm. telling her about what was going on in my life, and I know it's like sometimes it was easier to write it than to mm-hmm. say it, you know. Oh sure. Mm-hmm. Yes, I know. So, I know exactly what you mean. Uh huh. You know, I mean, and, but you know that what's, what's what makes us so great, you know? Um, <laughs> yeah, really. I mean, it's just something. How did you, you know, when you started and you started writing essays and stuff? What, you know, did you do write, write for papers? Did you write for Windy City Times? I wrote for uh, Tracy before Windy City Times. I actually ah, had a paper mm-hmm. called Outlines. Mm-hmm. And I did quite a few interviews for Outlines. That's what I started doing more than anything um, mm-hmm. when I started writing journalism heavily is I loved to talk to people and it was at a time when I was working at Unabridged Bookstore in Chicago, and we would have a lot of LGBTQ authors come in. And mm-hmm. 
this was actually during the uh, the peak AIDS years of the mm-hmm. peak years of the AIDS crisis. So I I had a lot of um, contact with people who I I read their books. I loved what they had to say, and I really wanted to share it to a bigger audience. And because of uh, uh, the epidemic going on at the time, everything seemed much more crucial. I always had a very keen sense of um, the importance of chronicling things. Mm -hmm. That's just another something I've had since I was a kid, where it always seemed to me that it was very important to keep a record of what was happening because things would not always be that way. And Mm. so a lot of these interviews ended up really being kind of um, historically, looking back on them, historically important. I mean, I I talked with a lot of writers who passed away, um, a lot of people who were doing, a lot of activists and writers doing really interesting things in the late 80s and early 90s. And it just, it was kind of a a very cool time capsule. And um, yeah, I've I've always been interested in doing that, in sort of capturing what it felt like to be there at the time. And it's always easier to do that if you can do it in an original voice. And that's what I Mm -hmm. loved about doing interviews is I'd, I wouldn't put it into a narrative. I would just do sort of Q&A interviews that would be framed by a small description of, of who I was talking to and sort of mm-hmm. set the scene. Like we're having coffee and I'm here talking with so-and-so and, you know, that kind of thing. You know, so that really I- got me writing a lot. And then once I started mm-hmm. doing that, I just, you know, branched out and started doing other things as well. Well, I like, too, how you're saying, like, you know, if we don't collect these stories and and if we don't hear from these people in their own voice, after a while, they're gone. And, you know, we can only, you know, we can only go like, oh, well, so-and-so sounded like this, and and they they would have thought that, but but to be able to talk to them in their own voice, but it's also in their own like, words, yes, yes. Mm-hmm. And that mm-hmm. history is so fragile because we don't realize it when you're in the middle of it. But um, once you know, history, people's and people and their voices and their experiences are all so important because when they go, their stories go with them until. Mm-hmm unless you write it down or someone writes it down and it's chronicled, you know, it's so important to contain all these things. I, one of my biggest soapboxes I get on these days is people, LGBTQ people especially, really need to, to think about their personal papers, any sort of community memorabilia they might have, anything like that, and figure out a place that is going to get that if something happens to them. Here in Chicago, I really promote Gerber Hart Library and Archives mm-hmm. as a place that I have that set aside where if anything happens to me, I want them to get all this stuff because 
it might easily look like junk if somebody's just, you know, cleaning out an apartment, but a lot of it w- would have historical significance to the community further down the line. And I really think that that's the way of building community is you strengthen that history and the importance of, of, um, of what came before and what life was like before. Young people want to know that. I wanted mm-hmm. to know that as a young gay guy. Mm-hmm. I wanted to know, I wouldn't always listen to my gay elders, but I wanted mm-hmm. to know what their life was like, you know. Mm-hmm. Anyway. You know, it's, it's funny that you should talk about because I hear more and more people, I mean, maybe it's because it's where, as we're, and not just because we're aging, but, I mean, because our times have changed so fast that, you know, mm-hmm. many of our our younger people, where everything is all brand new, you know, they can get married, mm-hmm. they they can walk down the street holding hands at places that are gay-friendly, but they don't remember how it was. And like you said, I was talking to a a woman, a minister here, and she was saying, like, one of their congregation had died, and someone brought a garbage bag full of papers and pictures that they had, you know, that one of them, you know, somebody in her family recognized that this needed to be saved. And there were pictures of, mm-hmm. of places and things that are no longer here. And like mm-hmm. you said, that we should be thinking about it and thinking about where these things should go, what are these stories, and what was it like back in the day before we could do all of this and not even recognize it. I know that one of your projects, when you were talking about the Belmont Rocks, I mean, I was Mm -hmm. just like, now you know, next time I come to Chicago, I'm going to drive by that area to look and say, oh, so that's where it is. Because That's where it was. That's the sad thing. It's not... The, the geographical mm-hmm. area is there, but the rocks themselves were bulldozed in 2003. Mm-hmm. So all that's left are people's memories of what the rocks were and maybe a mm-hmm. couple old photographs here and there that people have. But it was never important enough to be newsworthy, but at the same time, it was a part of people's everyday lives. And that's the part of history that I think is the most important. It's the way people live their everyday lives. Because that's what mm-hmm. I think young people can relate to. They might be able to admire like a, um, a, a big event, like a stonewall or a, a monumental court case. That's admirable. Mm-hmm. But I don't mm-hmm. think they can relate to it as much as if you say, this is how we partied. This is what we did on mm-hmm. Saturday night. This is, you know, that's how people, I think that's how you connect generations. And connecting generations is how you really build community. And I think that's one of the fragile things the LGBT community can have if we don't foster that connection sort of intergenerationally. Do you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. You know, to me, it also shows, like, the strength, okay, because, I mean, we made a way. We did these things. We were able to find a way to have joy, to express ourselves, to live authentically when it was a lot harder Oh, yeah. Than it is now. I mean, mm-hmm. and that's the thing that, that tickles me because, I mean, I heard after, you know, the last presidential election, a young person who worked for a company when it wasn't, she said, well, you know what, I'm concerned I might have to go back in the closet. I'm going like, you know, there were people who before you who went through so much and you're going to fold, you know. I yeah. Mean, it's important to know our history. Well, that's the thing. Know the history and know that these nothing has ever been handed 
to any of us just mm-hmm. out of generosity. People fought for everything we have. It was mm-hmm. built on blood and sweat and tears. And until you get a real appreciation of how that was fought for by knowing our history, you don't really appreciate it. And that's the scary thing, too, is all these freedoms that we know could easily be wiped away with a few mm-hmm. court cases or you know, another Supreme Court justice. Who knows? But it's mm-hmm. all really fragile. And mm-hmm. um, I think the more you promote history and the more you give younger people an appreciation of what came before, the more willing they're going to be able to fight for not only for themselves and their rights, but for the future rights. That was the admirable thing about a lot of the pioneers of the community. They weren't just fighting for themselves. They were thinking, like, down the line, people won't have to do this. I mean, Mm -hmm. so many of those pioneers are just, you know, they're saints, they're heroes, whatever word you want to use. But they were those things. They were, you know, made huge sacrifices because they were thinking about a world bigger than themselves. And, Mm -hmm. you know, they deserve to be celebrated. And that's another reason that I love history is I love shining a spotlight on those people going, you know, this person is kind of forgotten, but, you know, they did a lot of good and deserve to be remembered. Uh-huh, they really do. I mean, you know, and oh, and yeah. without the spotlight on them, you know, without the spotlight and that they persevered and they just kept doing these things. And it, like sure. you said, thinking forward to the next generation so that, you know, I was at a thing and there was like uh, an elder couple of lesbians who had been together like 40-something years, and they were mm-hmm. saying, you know, what they had to do to stay together. And then you see, like, some people now who are having, like, destination marriages one year, and the next year they're getting divorced, you know. It's like, mm-hmm. how do you – the importance of our community, of our families, that's really important that we don't get so caught up in, like, being accepted. Oh, well, they accept our relationships. No, our relationships matter and value. Have sure. value. And, it's, and And you learn that from your history. I mean, so that is just, like, I think that's one of the things that I found, like, so incredible as I read about, read your bio and read about you, is that that loving of the history, which I do too, and I've had that that good fortune of talking to people who are saving things and who are talking about it and who are part of history. So, I mean, that's just, like, amazing. So we're going to take our first break. And when we come okay. back, I wanna, I'm going to ask you a little bit about some of your books. So we'll be right back. Okay. And we're back here on Collections by Michelle Brown, and I'm talking with Owen Keenan. He's a writer and a historian. Okay, now you know you got me at St. Suki de la Croix. Okay. <laughs> Is that, was that a real person or was that fiction? Oh, he's very real. <laughs> from Chicago? Uh, Suki is originally from uh he grew up just a, li- a few miles away from Stonehenge, actually, in, in, oh, wow. in England. Um, he was in Chicago for a number of years, and now he lives in Palm Springs. Uh-huh. And, and we how- worked on... Oh. Uh-huh. No, no, how- tell and, me. Tell me more. Oh, and recently we worked on a book called Tell Me About It. 
and mm-hmm. it was Suki's idea. And he said, you know, I've been, we've, both of us have always been um, very interested in sort of chronicling the lives of everyday people. And mm-hmm. Suki did a lot of, Suki used to have columns in Chicago and a few different papers, and he'd do things like, you know, tell, ask people what they remembered about different bars or what, you know, that kind of thing. And mm-hmm. uh, it was and fascinating, fascinating stuff and hugely important with any of the work I've done in, in research. Like so much of my research is, has been made a thousand times easier because of Suki. So wow. anyway, Suki mentioned to me uh, that he's like, he'd been mulling over this project where you think of a few questions and then you ask a variety of people to answer them. And so that's what Tell Me About It is about. We pick 10 questions, questions like, um, tell me about the first gay bar you went to. Uh, Tell me about the worst date you've ever been on. (laughs) Tell me about the first time you heard about AIDS. Tell me about how your parents reacted when you came out to them. Uh, You know, that sort of 10 different questions. And what what we thought was originally going to be sort of like a light, fluffy, kind of bathroom reader sort of thing, Mm-hmm. attained this really interesting kind of heft to it because there are so many things that we all share that we don't really think about. They're just kind of tiny things, like just so many just small experiences. And um, the book's so important because it's – it's like one of those books that helps build bridges. Like you relate a lot of the stories you can really relate to. Some of the stories you can't completely relate to, but you sort of understand. But the overall compendium is just, you, you just feel a real sense of community. And that feeling that you get from reading it, there's one I'm trying to think. It was the question, I think it's something like, uh, tell me about the first time you realized you were different. And there are some things in there that just come across that just, I mean, when I got done reading that chapter, which is that question followed by all the responses of the different, mm-hmm. uh, the different people, it just, you know, it, it, tugged something inside of me where I just, you know, it was part of like the thrill of reading something like that. And at the same time, kind of this sadness and sweetness. Mm -hmm. But the thing that was there was just this undeniable feeling that like, wow, this is like important. Like it, it felt like we'd keyed into something that really kind of, um, I don't know, like it, like it felt like if you were talking in a, uh, uh, a human sexuality class or a gender studies class or something like that, like it, it felt like I hadn't really read anything like it before. So anyway, that project, I'm so happy that we did it. And we're working on the second one now, which wow. for lack of a better title, we're just going to tell me about it too. Um, same so, same, same yeah. question. 
we have the same, we're doing the same questions, so they'll be, mm-hmm. you know, for people who didn't answer the first 10, and then we've added 10 more questions for people wow. who answered the first 10. So, mm-hmm. you know, that's going along pretty well. That's going along pretty well. Did He's you, going to be in town in, later this month, so we're going to be oh. uh, doing a little presentation about it at Gerberhardt mm-hmm. Library. Okay, were you how were the people like the same age range? Did, did you cross generations? You know, we, how did you we tried to get to as ask? much diversity as we could, age-wise, uh, gender-wise, race-wise, everything. We tried to get as much of a variety as we could, uh, geographic varieties. We tried to get uh, people from all over the country, people from different countries. We're focused a little more on trying to do more of that with the second uh, volume. The first volume we were a little rushed on, so we didn't quite get as much of a reach out as we could. Plus, when you're starting a new project, if people don't have something to base it on, mm-hmm. um, it's a little harder to get them intrigued to answer 10 questions if, if they don't sort of, you know, if you can't hold up a book and say, well, here's volume one. It's like this. You know, then people are much more um, forthcoming. Did you find that they just pe- think you're nosy. <laughs> mm-hmm. Did you find that some people, like, opened up in ways, like, you know, that took you where you did, weren't expecting from, that, from their question? Um, people were pretty good about sticking to the question, but, yes, the way uh-huh. they answered them were all over the place. Mm-hmm. But there, wow. were, um, but sometimes there were also real connections between the two. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Did you? Do you have pictures? Was I have to get that book now? Now you know I've got to go read it. You know I'm going to go pull it up and read it. Mm-hmm. You know because you know I'm all about history. I love history. Did you? Um, did anyone answer the questions and then say, you know, hold off on that or agree to to be in the book and then back off? Well. We, when people volunteered for this, one of the things we wanted to do, because we more than have what we really wanted it to be was for people to be honest. So right off the bat, we said, you can use your full name, you can use your first name, you can use a pseudonym, you can call yourself John Smith, or you can just put anonymous. We don't, you know what, I'm, that's not the important thing. And mm-hmm. once you let people know they can do it anonymously, you know, it, it opens them up rather than people being worried that so-and-so would read this or, you know, that kind of thing. Mm-hmm. Wow. Yes, no, I definitely I, do. Give me your address when we're done and I will send you a copy. We'll be happy oh, to. Okay, Suki and I, 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 I would love that. And I would really love that. Okay, now, another one. The Legend of the Bearded Lady and Doug's Dugan's Bistro. Was was that a spot in Chicago? Yes, that was a that opened in 1973, and it was a gay disco that was on North Dearborn, down in the River North neighborhood at that time. Okay. What's fascinating about this is Dugan's Bistro pioneered a lot of the ideas that came to sort of be associated with discos in general. Mm. But it, so it became known eventually as the Studio 54 of Chicago, even though 
Dugan's Bistro opened four years earlier than Studio 54. So Dugan's Bistro was actually the pioneering one. It was Studio 54 was the one in New York. So Mm -hmm. uh, I think it got more, and the celebrities, so it got more attention. Mm -hmm. But Dugan's Bistro had a good share of celebrities uh, who passed through town. And what I was originally doing is I was doing, um, I wanted to do a four-part bio on four um, drag performers of the 60s and 70s. And they were uh, Wanda Lust, um, <laughs> Roby Landers, mm-hmm. Tilly the Dirty Old Lady, and the Bearded Lady. Mm-hmm. Well, the Bearded Lady was sort of, the other three kind of overlapped in a lot of ways, and the Bearded Lady sort of spun off in a whole other direction. So I ended up doing The Bearded Lady as a separate book, and that was sort of focused on the downtown gay glitter disco scene of the 70s in Chicago. And it had never been chronicled very well to my knowledge. So it was, it was so much fun um, to sort of relive this period. And the thing that made it so entertaining was that I, I talked to so many people doing this book and talking with them, you could hear a levity come into their voice when they'd recount mm-hmm. sort of what those evenings were like at Dugan's Bistro and how they'd be dancing. And when the music was right and the fog was rolling across the floor and the, <laughs> you know, the fake snow was coming down from the ceiling and the lights were going and they just had the right buzz from whatever drugs and alcohol they were doing that, more than one person said that was the happiest moment I can ever remember being in my life. Wow. And so just like capturing that and trying to, to make young people feel that like, you know, just because it was happening before we had gay marriage and before all this stuff was going on doesn't mean like we were all sitting around wringing our hands and you know what I mean? It wasn't like a dark, dismal hunt. There was a lot of other stuff going on. I think the problem that happened with a lot of that period is Dugan's Bistro was open from 73 to 82. And then right after that was sort of when AIDS started to hit Chicago. And not only was a lot of this population wiped out because especially it was like the partying downtown crowd scene. So they were, it was a heavily decimated community um, in the epidemic. And uh, it seemed like after the epidemic hit that writing about sort of this lighter period of time was somehow, um, I don't know, maybe doing a disservice to how solemn everything became with AIDS. But I think enough time has passed where I think you do a lot of these people an injustice if you just focus on the down aspect of maybe their lives rather than Mm -hmm. the celebratory period that happened right after gay liberation. Do you know what I mean? Mm -hmm. Where um, enough time had passed where we could sort of celebrate this period as more than just a precursor to something terrible. Um, 
And I really, I had so much enjoyment working on this book. He has, like, allowing people to tell these stories, again, sort of chronicling this fragile history because so many of the people from that period were gone. And you're also, you know, I'd be calling up people and saying, oh, remember 40 years ago when you were out partying every night and doing drugs? You know, remember what happened that night? And people, <laughs> you know, a lot of memories were very spotty. Uh, mm-hmm. But it was it was fun to piece together into sort of this chronicle of the times and using the bearded lady as sort of the vehicle for telling that story. Um, yeah, I, yeah. I just it, it was a lovely piece of fragile history that I was just um, I was really excited and I felt very privileged to be able to tell because that was you know it was paying homage to 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 all those pioneers and not just pioneers that pioneered forward in the community but pioneered in just you know we're being out and this is gay liberation and we're gonna party you know so and and you know that's my long way of saying i loved writing the book (laughs) uh, and you know what and it was a community i mean you know and it was a community uh and often those people who partied and hung out together were the ones who also cared for, loved, and mourned all those people who we lost to HIV and AIDS. Definitely, you know, definitely. Yeah. And that's really how community is built, I think. Uh-huh. I mean, so much, of, so much of that camaraderie is from the bar community. I mean, our, the bar community were seats of activism for a lot of early activism, uh-huh. you know. I mean, mm-hmm. and the River North community down there, I mean, there were probably, a, at any given time, they came and went, but there were at least a dozen bars in that area, and there's nothing like that now. Mm-hmm. But it used to be a hopping LGBTQ uh, neighborhood, and just sort and of know, see young people interested in that, going like, mm-hmm. oh, my God, I can't believe all these gay bars were down there. It's like, yep, mm-hmm. they were. And, and it has changed, you know, because from – like even here in, in Michigan, but in other places where there were those gay bars, I mean, yeah, maybe yeah, to where now they aren't there. You know, there aren't those places that you just sort of go and, you know, it's, it's changed. But there was, a, like mm-hmm. you said, there was a community, there was a camaraderie. Those were the people who, on whose shoulders all of this movement came from, out of the bars, oh, but yeah. like they're all gone, you know? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, we're very fortunate in Chicago in that we still have some very strong uh, bars with uh, with um, uh, political and community connections. Uh, mm-hmm. But during this period, there that was that was the core of it. Now I think there's bars that support other agencies that do that. But at that period, you know, I mean, I, I when Anita Bryant was here. And there were protests. Um, it was the bars who got the people on the shuttle buses and took them down to the protests and got 5,000 people to show up to protest her, you know, for the, uh, uh, the um, Dade County Ordinance in mm-hmm. Florida. Mm-hmm. Wow. I mean, and you, not only did you just have, then you were working with Tracy, and, um, and you did... Now, I met Bernita Gray towards the end of her life. I mm-hmm. mean, and 
you had an opportunity to talk to her, you oh, know, yes. um, to do that, that history of, of people. I mean, you almost went like from the beginning up to right on the precipice of what was happening then. And um, sure. you talked about uh, how was, what did you notice? What did you see? What observations were you able to, to bring, not only as you looked at these different periods, and then to look at what's happening now, you've got a lesbian there, you know? Oh did you gosh. ever think, I mean, did you ever think, I mean, as you were researching, you and Suki were talking, and then when you talked to someone about Vernita, who was a civil rights activist, who fought for marriage equality, that the day would mm-hmm. come when, I mean, you have um, a lesbian there, you have, you know, people on an alderman. I know Maria Haddon, you know, mm-hmm. lesbian, you know? Well, Chicago's always been very, um, we've, aldermen-wise, you know, it's been pretty progressive, aldermen and judges. Uh-huh. We've done pretty well in, in, uh, in having some power that way uh, because we're, we've become a pretty good political force in Chicago. But no, I mean, Lori Lightfoot, I mean, that was like, you know, a blessing that we that I didn't see coming. I mean, I saw it coming, mm-hmm. you know, eventually, but a year beforehand, no. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, yeah. So yeah, that was amazing. But with the uh, the books I did with Tracy, we did uh, Leatherman, The Legend of Chuck Renslow, um, Jim Flint, The Boy from Peoria, and then Vernita mm-hmm. Gray from Woodstock to the White House. And with those three, they really made me focus a lot on Chicago LGBTQ community because with Chuck, you focused on, you know, you had the whole uh, leather community and how Mm -hmm. that developed in Chicago and International Mr. Leather and the Gold Coast and sort of early gay Chicago. With Jim Mm -hmm. Flint, you had like a lot of politics and the sports groups and you had the Baton Show Lounge. So you also had a lot of um, drag history that came in into that one uh, all the way up to today. With Fernita, you had a lot of the student, uh, the, early, the early gay rights groups um, from the student groups to uh, Lavender Woman, the Levin, uh-huh. uh, lesbian newspaper out of Chicago. And so... With those three, it's kind of like each had a lot of overlap, but each sort of had a distinctive segment of Chicago's LGBTQ community. And so they were like a really good uh, uh, primer, really a primer into uh, the history of the city. And it, it, and there was nothing, you know, what, Working on the books alone is nothing compared to working on three books with Tracy Bain, which is like <laughs> a mm-hmm. whole nother history. That's like a graduate level history doctorate mm-hmm. in the course of two years, mm-hmm. um, just because uh, she knows every she knows so much of everything that's happened in the LGBTQ community in Chicago that uh, working with her was such a a huge, um, a huge gift that I just, 
it, I learned so much. And I'm a, I love to learn. So, I mean, mm-hmm. it was the sort of thing where it was intense while it was going on. But, like, after it was all done, you just take a deep breath and you were like, oh, I'm glad I did that. <laughs> no, it was mm-hmm. just, you know, absolutely the best teacher I have ever had. Mm-hmm. Well, you know, and the other part is, like, she does the Windy City Times, okay. Uh, next to Windy City Times, we have Between the Lines here. I mean, the number mm-hmm. of LGBT newspapers, I mean, it's like the bookstores. They're like a vanishing mm-hmm. breed. And like you said, she knows so much. There are things that, particularly in Chicago, I will say, uh, uh, Tracy, what? and she'll like, this person, that person, she'll tell you about oh, it. Yeah. And it's just like so incredible. But, you know, there's something about Chicago, because I have met other people who have, like, okay, we know about Vernita, okay? Mm-hmm. I mean, I was just reading this book recently about Lorraine Hansberry, and, mm-hmm. I mean, they talked about, you know, and here's a, I mean, she lived a, lot, a great deal of time, caused it, but here, you know, here she is. At, okay, Andrea Jenkins, who's over in Minneapolis, lived in, was in Chicago, and she loved Chicago, and, I'm gonna, and you went to Minneapolis, okay? Prince, I don't know. <laughs> But, I mean, there's something about Chicago that has, and maybe it is like you were talking about the politics, and that has a certain grit that, that raises these people up who might leave there and go someplace, but there's something about that atmosphere of what's happening in Chicago that I think is, I know people say they went to New York because they thought they could be, more out and about, but everyone I know from Chicago, people who are still there, are just like amazing, gritty people. I mean, they get it, they're able to see things, a broader view from a lens of civil rights, LGBTQ rights. Is it something in the water? (laughs) (laughs) Um, I have no, I think, one thing I think that's kind of interesting that about the Chuck, working with Chuck Renslow and working with Jim Flint and working with Vernita Gray. And I would definitely put Tracy in that category and Marie Kuda and Bill Kelly and any, there's so many people, mm-hmm. uh, is that they stayed here. That's kind mm-hmm. of, that kind of was amazing to me in that a lot of cities someone will get to a certain point and then they'll leave. But Chicago, mm-hmm. they stayed, which mm-hmm. um, I think says, says a lot. I think if that would have happened, things would have changed a lot. But people were able to carve out those, um, those amazing lives here and make them as big as they wanted to be, it seemed, and not have to abandon the city they loved. Because that's one thing that, and I say this as somebody who's been here for, you know, God, I'm trying to do the math now, uh, 36 years. <laughs> that, uh, 37 years. See, I was trying to do the math. That uh, I've just, you know, Chicago, God knows it has its ups and downs, but you get to love it after a certain, a certain period mm-hmm. of time. You know, and a lot well, of times, too, what happens is Chicago has become like a magnet for a lot of mm-hmm. the cities around. So 
we're also kind of like a big place for people to gravitate towards. So that helps a lot. Like there's a lot of people from Chicago who aren't from Chicago. You know, they'll mm-hmm. say they're a Chicagoan like me, but I'm actually from Rockford. But mm-hmm. <laughs> Well, I often tell people, I said, well, sometimes when I just really need to get my gay on, I have to go to Chicago, you know. Just, <laughs> I said, I'm going to Chicago. I said, you're going to Chicago again? Yes, I need to go. You know, I get my fix, you know. But, but well, now we have the rainbow, the rainbow crosswalks and the tran- transgender uh-huh. crosswalk, flag crosswalk on Halstead Street, and uh-huh. you know. I and mean, the, the Legacy Project is getting a Chicago historical marker status this year. Well, well, let's take a huge. break, and then I want to talk about the the Legacy Project, and I think that's just it is huge. So we'll be right back. Okie doke. Okay. And we're back here on Collections by Michelle Brown. And, oh, and we were just talking about the Legacy Project. And I know that when it started, I mean, I mean, to go, I, when I've had friends who I've taken, and we walk, and I said, look, look at this, and look at this. And it's like, how cool is that? I mean, how amazing is that? Um, and like I said, now it's getting, you know, historical recognition. I mean, that is just like, it's us. You know well, what I mean? Well, one of the things that, I mean, the Legacy Project is 98% Victor Salvo, who is the founder and the executive director. I think the other co-founder, Lori Cannon, would agree with me when I say, as co-founders, basically we're the ones who sort of uh, were Victor's cheerleaders, or just in my case, I more pushed him, like I would... I'm great at getting someone who, like, he had a gr- this great idea, and I was great at being able to literally text, call, and email sort of every day and go, like, so what, have you done anything more on that idea you have? Are you doing anything? You know, that kind of thing. Mm-hmm. So, <laughs> but, yes, it's, it's, he has done so much with the Legacy Project. It's absolutely amazing. Um, it just, every time I think of how much has been accomplished in under a decade, I'm just blown away. Oh, wow. Yeah, that's just enough. Well, okay, can you take us through, okay, I know that there, it, um, there was the Hall of Fame, okay, and then, and I know that you're a member of the Hall of Fame, and I've talked to other people. I'll tell you, one of my earlier interviews was with Kim Hunt. And oh, yeah. I mean, who is also Kim, on the board of the Legacy Project. I know. And when Kim told about, you know, in fact, she was out of, of town, and her daughter went and got her award that time. I mean, that was one of, mm-hmm. one of our first cry moments. You know, it was just like oh. really, really beautiful. But, um, and you're in the Hall of Fame. Yes. Were you shocked? I mean, I was going to say, we want to put you in the Hall of Fame. Well, did, you, did you say, I'm, you I'm just going to be a me or what? Well, there's a nominating process. So mm-hmm. someone has to, uh, basically someone writes up an, a nomination. And then say if I were going to nominate you to be in the Chicago LGBT Hall of Fame, you would then have to sign it. So, mm. I mean, I can't. Uh, 
I could not nominate you without your consent. Mm-hmm. So it is a surprise, but it's not that much of a surprise. But then everyone who's nominated is voted on by a meeting of previous members of the Hall of, the hall of Fame. So that's more like the, um, that's more the surprising thing is sort of, you know, do they like me? Do they not like, you know, that can not, know. Not do they like me? But do they, you know what I mean? Where, where you're voted on, where it's kind of mm-hmm. one of those. Uh, uh, Sally Fields moment. <laughs> am I worthy? Yeah. Am I worthy? Sort of mm-hmm. worthy to be in this. So it's, it is a surprise. It's more, um, I was surprised because I just, to me, the people, so many people who I knew who had been in it had done so much more than, than I had. Uh, and I think with me, it also motivated me to maybe want to do more. You know, you uh-huh. like, like I kind of felt and took it as a vote of confidence. So after that happened, I was like, you know, wow, I can't mess up now, you know, kind of thing. thing. But it's, you know, it's, it's nice. You know, I mean, so many people have done so much and I think it's a wonderful thing for the community to recognize them and to say, you know, a lot of these times it's people have given, you know, countless hours of their own countless efforts, everything else, and to have it recognized is, you know, it's, it's, it makes you feel good. It, it's, um, I think it's important. And the Hall of Fame is sort of on hiatus now. The board is uh-huh. regrouping and they're, they're um, doing something with restructuring. But in that period, I'm no longer on the board, but for the past couple years, I've been keeping up their Facebook page, which is basically like, I have a, a spreadsheet, um, well, my version of a spreadsheet, because I'm not that uh, savvy, uh, my version of a spreadsheet, which has, you know, people's birth dates, uh, okay. people's death dates, and notable anniversaries of different organizations and things. So, like, say, well, tomorrow is David Serta's birthday, and David Serta is a, uh, a playwright, and director who's done um, amazing things with with theater parody, gay theater parody in um, in Chicago with Helena Handbag Productions, mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. so he's in the Hall of Fame. So like tomorrow, I will say, you know, today the Chicago LGBTQ or LGBT Hall of Fame wishes David Serta the happiest of June thirteenth birthdays. Mm-hmm. You know, um, and then I will just reprint or repost his um, his official induction biography, which is about 300 to 350 words. And mm-hmm. it's nice because it reminds people. It's not, you know, again, his is from 2016, so it's not going to be current, but it will remind people of the amazing things that people have done. And the nice thing is, is so many of these people have passed away. Um, Mm -hmm. You know, this has been going on since 1991. A lot of the people are deceased. A lot of the people were posthumous. Uh, 
if someone did a lot of things to lay down the bedrock of a certain segment of the LGBT community and help pave the way for the future, but they died in 1995, not that many people might remember them. But if I post on their birthday and I post on their death day twice a year, it gets posted that, hey, remember this person? They've been dead for 20 years, but here's what Mm -hmm. they can contributed to our community. This is why we should remember their name. And the thing that I'm really hopeful for is that younger people see this and see the importance of contributing to the community, that this is someone who did something that they believed in completely to contribute to our community without... um, without looking for a reward, but just because they thought it was the right thing to do. But I hope that inspires young people to sort of contribute in the same way because there's so many amazing people um, that have done so much for Chicago's LGBT community that have just, um, that, you know, life goes on. Generations move on. Uh-huh. And, and they're not on the tip of everyone's tongue anymore. So hopefully this is like a nice little daily reminder. Well, I think it, it, it's really important. You know, for the longest, uh, there's a fellow who was in New York, Stephen Magla, and he did the Ubuntu Project. And that's mm-hmm. what he would do. Every day he would put somebody's, you know, birthday up. He'd put, you know, he'd make these. Unfortunately, when he passed, well, the good thing is when he passed, he had a relative who recognized these file cabinets because he was old school. All these file cabinets of biographies mm-hmm. were important and handed them over to someone. But then, unfortunately, oh, no one has, you know, they, they, they don't keep it up like he did. He did it like every day. Mm-hmm. But it's important. Like you said, some of these people are gone. Some of these people, you know, you need to know your history and you know about it. So that, that's an important part, you know. And, you know, well, I think virtual the other nice thing. Oh, sure. And the other nice thing is, is even if they're not gone, if they're mm-hmm. like, you know, a senior, mm-hmm. to have that posted and to have, have that reminder of, like, they did this and have people say, like, oh, thank you so much for what you contributed. I think that's important. Mm-hmm. You know, I think mm-hmm. acknowledging people for what they did is important. And I love that that happens with, with older people that maybe aren't, you know, the center of things like they were when they were, you know, 40 years ago or whatever. Mm-hmm. So when did you but start? But I'm so with, happy you, know, you said that those files got saved. At first oh, I yeah. thought you were going to say, I was worried. Mm-hmm. I thought you were going to say they got tossed or something. No, you know, it was like, I, okay, and it was a, uh, a female relative, she said, I don't, you know, she said, I know this was his passion. This is what he mm-hmm. did. She said, you know, here, here, you know, come get it, you know, here. You know, she said, Cause I don't so want to get destroyed. And so, and that's what you're sort of, and that's why it's important, too, that, you know, like you said, you're talking about history. I know people are talking about archiving. That it's important that we, we do gather these things because, unfortunately, too, many in our community, you know, we might not be close with our family. We might not have biological children or somebody who's going to do that. But as a community family, we need to be gathering and collecting and saving this information. And, you know, so. And I think, I think um, 
part of that too that that maybe maybe has maybe I think has made me a little more extra sensitive to that is you would just hear so many horror stories, especially during the the peak years of the epidemic, where somebody would pass, their family would come, they wouldn't see the value in things, or they would be embarrassed by what they found. Mm-hmm. You know, they didn't want any record of that lifestyle or whatever. Do you know what I mean? And oh, they just yeah. pitch oh, everything. Yeah. And mm-hmm. it just, it, you know, God knows what was lost, but you know, you can't focus on that. You just have to focus on what can we do to save what remains. Not, you know. So, so was it after the induction that that you got involved with the legacy project? That that was like I'm going to keep this that was kind of going on at the same time. But uh-huh. the legacy project, I think. We were just we were planning maybe the first installation of plaques, the first the first class of plaques. These are big uh-huh. for those of you who uh-huh. I'll try to paint a picture. So these uh-huh. these, these big rainbow pylons along uh-huh. Halstead, the Halstead Street corridor for about uh, six blocks, and on the rainbow pylons are two uh, very large bronze plaques that are going to be biographies of LGBT people through history that have passed away. Like there'll be one for Sylvia Rivera, one for Barbara Jordan, one for Mm -hmm. Alvin Ailey, one for Harvey Milk. There's 40 of these and those include individuals as well as, um, important landmarks, uh, landmark moments like the Stonewall Uprising or Mm -hmm. uh, the Pink Triangle, things like that. The Harlem Renaissance is another one of those. Um, So these are big, beautiful plaques, and there's something, and I don't know what it is, but there's something that so makes, stresses the importance of our history to have it set in bronze. I don't know what, but it just makes it, you know what I mean, that much more official. Mm -hmm. Like, here we are. We're not going anywhere. This is a non-corrosive metal. We're staying right here. Mm -hmm. Was it difficult to get? uh, So anyway, that was just kind of in the early stages um, Mm -hmm. when I was inducted into the Hall of Fame in 2011. What negotiations or what did you have to go through with the city to to put up? I mean, these are landmarks. I mean, you know. Oh, yeah. Um, well, that would be, that was mostly Victor Salvo. And it was, mm-hmm. I mean, you had to, it's Chicago. So we had to deal with, you know, the aldermen. It goes in, it crosses two wards. So it was mm-hmm. two different aldermen and the streets. And, you, you know, I mean, there were a lot of different loops to jump through. And, mm-hmm. um a lot of people believed in the project. Um, Victor has been tireless in pushing it forward. Uh, my main contribution, I'm the senior biographer of the uh-huh. Legacy Project. So what I do mainly is write, if you go to the website, www.legacyprojectchicago.org, uh-huh. um, you'll find an alphabetical listing 
of all the uh, potential inductees that would have a plaque on Halstead Street. And there's probably, I don't even know how many there are anymore, like 200 of those. And I mm-hmm. wrote the little bios of them for the most part. Victor wrote some of them. We sort of contribute on them. We'd, I'd write it and then Victor, I'd send it to Victor and he'd tweak it and then he'd send it back to me and I'd tweak it and then back and forth. And sometimes the process would start with him and he'd start the original one and then send it to me. So um, my main contribution are those. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm much more of like a focused uh, writer kind of thing than I'm not the kind of person to send down to City Hall to negotiate. Mm-hmm. <laughs> that's, not my, that's not my skill set. So but, how, did, how did you determine um, the, first, the first ones to go up, how many were going to go up, who would that, what did that record represent? Did you just go like significant parts of LGBT history? I mean, the the main significant people, or how did you determine that? Um, well, for what we did is we had so we have all these um, nominees on the website. Uh-huh. Then we have a group of uh, their LGBT historians, community leaders, uh, and they would pick. Like maybe they would look, read through them and say, okay, if I were going to do plaques, these would be the 20 that I would choose. And so if you have, you know, 25, 30 people doing that, you have a lot of overlap. We stayed out of the voting for who goes up Mm -hmm. at the end. Like I didn't, that really we needed to sort of step back and let those community leaders and historians decide that. Um, Then basically there would be a a smaller pool of say like 20. Okay. So you have the original hundreds that goes down to like 20 and then basically it's cost $10,000 to get, to do a plaque, like to get the, get it set in bronze, get it put up, um, get it insured which is a big thing for any, um, uh-huh. you know, thing like that, and upkeep. So then, you, then it would just be a matter of trying to find sponsors who would, who would foot the bill to get this done, you know, whether it was a group of friends or someone who felt in a special affinity for, uh, say, Cole Porter or um, James Baldwin or... Uh, uh, we were talking about Vernita Gray earlier, and Vernita Gray, um, uh-huh. friends of Vernita, are the sponsors of the Audre Lorde plaque. Um, uh-huh. So that was sort of the process. So there'd be a smaller pool, but then, you know, I wish it would be that easy to get the money to um, uh, to sponsor plaques for everybody, but it just, you know, it's it's not the reality of the organization right now. You know, so, you know, now all the spaces on Halstead are full, which means there's 40 spaces, so there's 40 up. And then in the future, hopefully that will entail kind of a visitor center slash museum for the Legacy Project. 
and then eventually kind of a rotating of the plaques where the plaques, new plaques would go onto Halstead, replacing plaques that would come off and go into the visitor center, that kind of thing. Mm-hmm. Okay, because that was going to be, because I had read that, I was going to, oh, we need a spot, we need a place to put these, you know? Mm-hmm. Yeah, oh, it's a, it's a, it is a huge undertaking. And now, um, you know, the education initiative has taken off with the Legacy Project, which is always a huge component, which was, you know, the best way to combat homophobia and bullying and all that is just educate people about the contributions of the LGBT community throughout history. You know, mm-hmm. I, if you promote... Uh, people as role models, you know, because so many of these people were role models anyway, but their sexuality was purposely redacted from their history. You know, Mm -hmm. if someone is straight, we don't have any problem hearing all about their family and their kids and their home life. But if someone's gay, it's sort of like they were married to their job or they, you know, it, it, there were all sorts of ways where they became kind of these, a lot of times sexless kind of just they became their work and nothing more, you Mm -hmm. know? Um, So we're kind of reclaiming these people too as sort of LGBT people. Mm -hmm. Um, Let's see. Oh, Um, oh, you know, even worse when when they're erased, because, you know, I talked to Walter Nagel, who had been Bayard's partner. And, you know, and, mm-hmm. and we were talking about such things, and even like um, in that one, I thought it was Selma, where, no, there was one movie and it was like, there was one mention of his name, but it was like, for the longest, mm-hmm. like they were just going to erase him, you know, and, and Walter was talking about all the things that he did, which... Oh, my God, yeah. Were, were like erased because he was gay, you know? Yeah. And it's like... And he has a, he's someone else who has a plaque on the Legacy Walk, too. Mhm, mhm. And um, yeah. in fact, I picked Walter up years ago at at O'Hare when he when he came in for the uh, the dedication. I think that that was the first year. Mhm. I believe. Mhm. The years kind yeah, of blend yeah. together a little bit. <laughs> I know, that's why I was like, but it's like so. You know, what have you you know from seeing it? What are the the things that you've seen, like I know I've talked to people, like we have a building here, you have the center on Halstead. Uh, in D.C. they have an HRC building, and one of the the things that happened from that by having a physical a something there is that you notice that people stop and look. You know, it's like that something about mm-hmm. that structure, that location. Um, we had, we were at uh, our building here in Ferndale, Michigan, and there was a lady who was in town on a conference and just happened to walk down the street and was like, oh, my God, you know, and, and it was like she had this mm-hmm. moment, here's the space. What have you found, like, from educators, from students, from LGBT people of all, LGBTQ people of all generations, the significance of seeing this project, being able to go and read about their history. I, I think it's so empowering. You know, one of the things, another thing that the Legacy Project does is we also have the Legacy Wall, which is mm-hmm. this beautiful, there's more, many more biographies contained on the Legacy Wall because it's, you know, mm-hmm. it's much easier with this big wall to, to sort of include more than, 
the huge plaques that we have on the pylons. So that travels. So Mm -hmm. that's gone to places like central Illinois, central Indiana. And the fascinating thing is, is that I think it's easy to forget when we're in Chicago and right in the middle of a boys town, you know, along the Halstead Strip, just Mm -hmm. we take a lot for granted. And people in these sort of out of the way areas for LGBT uh, people, um, they'll travel a long way and they're just they're just absolutely gobsmacked by seeing mm-hmm. this and this history and it right in the middle of, you know, um, like a community center or right in the middle of the state capitol or right in the middle of uh, 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 the entry hall of a university, whatever. But to see this history sort of legitimized in that way is just it's absolutely eye-opening for so many people. And it's, it's the sort of thing where you, you really forget how important it is because you're just sort of used to living your life, being out, and, you know, you're in the big city mm-hmm. and you don't think about it. It's the same way I have to think about truthfully when I, you know, somebody was asking me about the parade last week. And it's easy to think, oh, you know, here we go again, you know, my 30th, gay pride parade and just, you know, Uh I've seen it all, blah, blah, blah. But the thing that I try to stop myself from doing is every time at the gay pride parade, if you look around, you can see somebody who's at the gay pride parade for the first time. And you can see that from that look on their face that they're looking around and they're saying, oh my God, look at all these people that are just like me, that are Uh celebrating what they are, out in the sunlight with other people like them. And it just, it absolutely, it, get, I, it moves me to tears every single year because all you have to do is think back to when that was you, you know, the first, the, the parade virgin was you and that <laughs> everybody was that person at one uh-huh, time. And, uh-huh. and now we have 50 years of this. It's amazing. I mean, it just, it's, it's, so easy to just look at this and sort of not appreciate it for how astounding it really is and how astounding the um, the achievements that, that the LGBT community has made really are. But I think mm-hmm. once you see all that, you can really see how important it is that we keep fighting, that it's really important just not to think oh, we've got it made, what's the big deal? Because then you start realizing that you're not fighting for you. You're fighting for that person who's seen the parade for the first time. You know, Mm -hmm. because then in 10 years, they're going to be looking at somebody who's going to be seeing the parade for the first time. You know, I mean, it's that sort of legacy, I think, is just what it's all about, you know, because it just gets me every time because it makes you really feel connected. Mm -hmm. And it's so important because, like you said, sometimes we forget because I talk to, you know, young people, and we think, oh, they're all connected. But young people who are in a rural area or are in some area where the only time that they've seen gay people, like I Mm -hmm. met a young trans woman who said, like, her life was on the computer. 
And it oh, wasn't yeah. until she came in and then she actually really and truly saw people who were like her and met people who had lived that life and, you know, that it wasn't brand new. And, you know, so sometimes, Mm -hmm. like you said, we do think, oh, well, all of us, you know, but there's still that one person, like you said, you're going to turn around and look and you have you can see that look in their face like they've come home. They found home. They found a place where they can be absolutely beautiful to see. Mm-hmm. Absolutely beautiful to see. And the other thing, and I'm so glad you brought this up, is everyone thinks we're so much more connected now because everything's online. We're all online. And that's a big step in the right direction, and it's great. But I still think, as human beings, it's nothing like human contact. Mm-hmm. You know? It's nothing like being able to look into somebody's eyes and just have a discussion with them or whatever. You know, it's mm-hmm. just that human contact, I think. And human contact, because I don't really think you can feel acceptance a lot of times from a computer screen. Mm-mm. You know, you might, be able to, to do some, you might be able to get connected in a certain way, but you don't feel like a personal, like, connection to someone. I mean, I think it's partially energy, you know, and you get that from like the physical person. Mm-hmm. And you're how, just and having how, all the, uh-huh. I'm sorry. And how to be in life. You know, what you see mm-hmm. on that image and everything, that's not it, but, you know, someone who would sit and talk with you and you talk about the, you know, how you wrote, you did all this, like you and I were talking about, yeah, I wrote stories too. I mean, there's that connection to where, you're not alone. You're not the only one. And this is how you navigate through life. But, you know, it's more than saying it gets better. It's like, yeah, it does get better. But these are the, this is how you, you make it to get better. There's no act sure. to that, you know? Yes. Yes. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, yeah, I, I, I agree. It gets better, I think, is also like a, a thing where – it gets better, and, and, and we can help make it better on, on mm-hmm. both ends, you know. And, mm-hmm. yeah, I, I so am with you there. I just think it's, you know, it's a, it, and, again, it's a community effort. You know, it mm-hmm. takes people moving in both directions, you know, people, uh, um, people wanting to, to, to get involved in community and, the community embracing them, like the the whole full circle of it, mm-hmm. you know. So I'm looking on the page, and I'm looking at this at the legacy wall. That is like gorgeous. Oh, isn't but it beautiful? I, it is. It's really beautiful. But I also see that you that have again is Victor Salvo's design. He's, wow. He's an architect. His background is an architect, and it's uh-huh. um, an interior design. And it's it's just it's. It's even more gorgeous in person. It's it's just ama- It's an architectural feat. Mm. Yeah, and it's it's literally people. Can you so can you imagine seeing that if you're in a small town like mm-hmm. you're in? You know, it was in Bloomington, Indiana, for a while at the university. So people were driving in and seeing it, and they were just, you know, middle of Indiana. It's not what you expect to see. You know, mm-hmm. it's. It's life-changing for a lot of people, you know, Victor's mm-hmm. work. And it, uh, oh, yeah. I but almost that, that, think, 
I love the Legacy Project. I, I mean, I love the Legacy Walk down Halstead Street, mm-hmm. but the wall, I think, really has more of an ability to to reach the population that really needs to see it. Do you know what I mean? Because mm-hmm. mm-hmm. it can go it can go somewhere where you're outside of of where it's okay to walk down the street holding hands with your partner, whatever, you know? Mm-hmm. Uh-huh. Well, well, you hear all of that, but you still aren't sure because, you know, you might live in a very red district and you go like, well, oh, I know yeah. it's supposed to be okay, but, you know, I'm not going to do it. And we hear reports. We still hear reports of people, you know, being attacked, being oh, sure. slandered. So to have that come in in some place and it might start a conversation, it might change. Sometimes you can't change a heart and mind, but you can move a heart and mind when they see our stories. And mm-hmm. that legacy wall, wall is something that, that could show up in a place that would foster those discussions that would help. Mm-hmm. Or, you know, or someone, you know, someone who might have, you know, a lot of prejudices of different sorts, might see someone on that wall and think, wow, I always, always admired them. I never knew, mm-hmm. you know. And, mm-hmm. I mean, you're always hopeful that you're going to open people's minds, you know. Because mm-hmm. that's the thing is, like, the people who are prejudiced, you want to open their minds. The people who are closed off, you want to open their eyes. You know, it's kind of – when they're – and. Everyone else, you just kind of want to open their hearts. It's sort of a different, mm-hmm. it can strike people in different ways. Wow. I mean, I mean I'm just, no, I want to see the wall. <laughs> the, wall is, uh, the wall is in Minneapolis now. Uh-huh. Well, you know what, I'm going to have to, you know what, now they have to add a, a part on the list like where the wall is now. So, you know, I can, when it comes <laughs> close, I can go see the wall because, I mean, this is beautiful. I mean, this is just like really, really beautiful. And it's very intricate, and there's lots of biographies on it, lots of information. It's beautifully lit, beautifully mm-hmm. done. Um, yeah, I think, truthfully, I think down the line, one of the great things to do would be to get two walls. So you can have two of them go, you know, but they're mm-hmm. not cheap to manufacture. So, but having two of the walls moving around so you could do double, you know, is even better, so... Mm-hmm. How can people support the Legacy Project? You know, I mean, the easy thing, I mean, of course, I mean, if they want to nominate someone, I, I know it's, it's there on the website, but how can people support the Legacy Project and, and work at getting that second wall or getting the wall into their community? Um. The information is on the website, www.legacyprojectchicago.org. And uh, there should be contact information there. And I'm not sure exactly what the stipulation is now. There's different, I know there's different financial uh, plans for, uh-huh. you know, if, what, if it's for a business, oh, yeah, yeah, like a corporation that. wants okay. to do it, it's uh-huh. going to be probably more than if a, not-for-profit wants to do it or a school wants to do it. Um, mm-hmm. But there's information there. There's information on taking a guided tour by Victor himself on the Legacy wow. Walk in uh, Chicago down Halstead Street. And 
I mean, it's very affirming because a lot of different groups, a lot of different school groups and business groups go on that. It's very eye-opening. Um, those are two great ways to support um, the Legacy Project. And we're always looking for volunteers if you, if, for uh, anything people can do. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So now I know that you and have a new book. You and Suki are working on your next book. What's the time mm-hmm. frame for that? Um, we want to have the submissions for Tell Me About It to – we want to have submissions for that by September 1st. Mm-hmm. And then we'll be putting the next one of them together. Wow. But that's the deadline we're currently working with. Uh-huh. And if someone wanted a copy of the first one, how do they go about getting that? You can buy that at select bookstores and online. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. And if they want to participate in the second book, they can email Suki or myself. And if you want to email me, my name is my name is my name is spelled Owen Keenan, <laughs> O W E N. K-E-E-H-N-E-N at yahoo.com. Mm-hmm. And, uh, well, and, and if, you, if you email me at that, that address, we can get the ball rolling on that. Okay. Well, that sounds great. Well, Owen, I want, we're coming to the end of our time here. I want to thank you for taking the time. Um, you know, there's so many things that I like about you know, the things about the writing and the way that you've gone about your writing, the historical part, and, and that part about telling our stories, which is really what this show is all about. So um, I want to thank you for being with me tonight. Oh, and thank you for having me. It's been an absolute pleasure. I want to thank today's guest, Chicago writer and historian Owen Keenan. Owen is one of the co-founders of The Legacy Project. The Legacy Project was inspired by the name's Project AIDS Memorial Quilt when it was shown at the National March on Washington for LGBTQ Civil Rights in 1987. As part of the project, the City of Chicago has celebrated the LGBTQ community with the Legacy Walk. This Legacy Walk is a dynamic outdoor LGBTQ history. The pylons are to be named the first multi-block LGBTQ landmark in the world. Be sure and follow Collections by Michelle Brown Blog Radio on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. And let us know if you have a suggestion for a guest or topic for a future show. You can listen to this or past episodes of the show on SoundCloud iTunes, Stitcher, or Blog Talk Radio. Join us next week when I'll introduce you to another amazing individual living between the lines, standing boldly in the crosshairs of their intersectionality, and creating change. Right here on Collections by Michelle Brown. Thank you for listening.
Hey guys, it is Ryan. I'm not sure if you know this about me, but I'm a bit of a fun fanatic when I can. I like to work, but I like fun too. It's a thing. And now the truth is out there. I can tell you about my favorite place to have fun. Chumba Casino. They have hundreds of social casino style games to choose from with new games released each week. You can play for free anytime, anywhere And each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses. So join me in the fun. Sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW group. Void or prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus.